Blog Talk Radio. dissertation, and I was very much single. And I read an article by Maureen Dowd in the New York Times that said that men were intimidated by smart, successful women, that men uh, wouldn't look for a woman like me. And I thought, well, this is, this is really a problem. I've somehow overeducated myself, and I'm never going to get married. So at least I should get a book out of it. So initially, I pitched my agent on a bad news book, and I was going to call it Overqualified for Love. And it was all going to be about how high-achieving women never got married. And, uh, but before I decided, you know, before I was going to sell this book, I decided I really needed to do some research. And my background is in, in sociology and social history. So I pulled all the recent data, and I got very confused. Because I found that, in fact, Maureen Dowd was, was wrong. High-achieving women were marrying at the same rates, if not at higher rates, than all other women. So instead of writing a bad news book, I ended up writing a good news book, a book of empowerment that shatters this, this myth that so many of us smart women have been raised with. And it's, it was the first good news book for smart, successful women uh, to em- embrace their intelligence 
and uh, and realize that no, in fact, we are not overqualified for love. We are, in fact, just the kind of of women that men are really looking for. I love that because that very much resonates with what I hear from the men I'm working with. So I love that. Um, and now in your books, you use both the terms swan and the mm-hmm. chestnut, um, as well as describe certain historic shifts. So I think you'd be great to set the context for our listeners um, if you could explain both, you know, both these terms and the historic shifts you mentioned in your book um, to set the context up for us. Sure. Okay, so first of all, for all the smart women out there, you're kind of sick of being labeled as, you know, all sorts of negative terms if you're single over the age of, gosh, I don't know, 25 it, it, it began in my life. Um, and so I was really looking for a, a, a term of empowerment and a positive term to give to all those smart, successful women out there. And so I came up with the acronym SWANS, and that stands for Strong Women Achievers, No Spouse. And what I loved about the acronym SWANS was that um, it, it works really well on several levels. SWANS, the birds themselves, actually sail alone for the first third of their lives, but when they mate, they mate for life. And swans are these beautiful, graceful birds, and, uh, and I thought it would be a kind of a nice, a nice term of empowerment. And when I started talking to all the young women when I was publicizing my book, it was just so wonderful to see their faces light up at the idea of being called something other than a spinster or some other really negative term. So, um, so for all the smart women out there, you know, think of yourselves as swans, strong women achievers, no spouse. And, uh, and, then, and part of the idea of, of swans is also shattering this idea of the success myth. And so the success myth is that the more successful you are in your education and in your career, the less successful you will be in your personal life. And um, academic researchers often call it the success penalty. So, uh, and and the, the, way, the way these terms came about is, is from an unfortunate fact from our mothers and our grandmothers' generation. Because even up until the 1980 census, it was true that a woman who had a college education plus some graduate education was significantly less likely to get married and less likely to have children than a woman with less education. But then, starting in the 1980s, things started to change rapidly. And so when I mentioned Maureen Dowd's column, she, was, she is in her 50s, early 60s, and she is part of that old guard, that old generation. But for the young women who are young and single now, in fact, education is a bonus. The success myth is, is in fact, really a myth. It is, it is a thing of the past. And, uh, and, and so when your grandmother and mother give you all sorts of well-meaning advice about how, you know, you got to get you got to get married immediately and and um and that you're you know sort of an old maid at 25 that was their generation this this generation of young women is uh, is is playing by a completely different set of rules and uh, and that's the really terrific news for all the young single women out there ah uh, so when you're talking about historic shifts um this is what you're speaking of in terms of this change in the 80s um Yes, it is. It was, you know, it, and it, and it changed slowly over time, mm-hmm. so much so that we didn't really even recognize it for a while. In fact, when I was in graduate school studying these these trends, I was looking at data from the 80s and 90s, and you know, my advisor was telling me, "Look, it, it you know, high achieving women are less likely to get married," and I was nodding and looking at the numbers. 
So you can imagine my surprise when in 2005 I started looking at the data and realized that not only was there, not only did smart, successful women reach parity in terms of marriage rates, but they really began to exceed the, um, the marriage rates of less educated women, uh, starting probably around 2000. So for women who are in their 20s, 30s, and 40s now, it is really particularly good news. We're the first generation where men, in fact, are saying, yes, we want, you know, we don't, we don't want a subordinate woman. You know, we, we, want, we want to volley with an equal. We want someone who we can talk to who will be our life partner. And I have heard that from all the men that I interviewed. You know, I didn't do just statistical research for this book. I interviewed more than 100 high-achieving men and women in depth, and I got their whole life stories, and this is, what, this is what I heard from the men in the interviews and in the surveys. And, in fact, I'm a college professor now, and, um, and so I, I run these, these mate preferences studies on college students to find out what young men and women are looking for in a mate. And we can see that over several decades, young men are prioritizing more so than ever before a woman's educational background, her intelligence, and her ability to earn a good income. So all of these things that your mom and grandmother told you were going to be negatives, in fact, are positives in today's dating market. Excellent. Well, I love that. And building on empowerment, um, in your book, Why Smart Men Marry Smart Women, you provide four empowering tips to swans. would love to read each of the four one by one, have you expound. And um, the first tip you share is that success isn't what's holding you back in your dating life, but your bad attitude might be. So tell us about that. All right. So oftentimes I hear women say to me, you know, I'm down in my luck on dating, and it's because men are intimidated by me. It's because I'm, I'm just too smart for these guys. And it's a little bit of, of, of uh, it, it, you know, it, it's, it, it's a distraction. That's not the reason. A young woman who is smart and successful simply needs to learn how to be herself and to present her intelligence and success in a way that is attractive. And that doesn't mean, you know, dating isn't about, isn't about comparing resumes. It's about finding someone who is compatible for you. So don't dumb yourself down. I hear so many women who say, oh, well, you know, I'm a doctor, but when I, but when I go out to a bar, you know, I, I pretend to be um, a flight attendant. Well, why, why would you do that? First of all, it's insulting to flight attendants. And second of all, you're not, that's not who you are. You don't want a man to fall in love with a fake version of you. You want a guy who really loves you for you. So think of that as a great screening mechanism. There are plenty of guys out there who are interested in smart, successful women. And if the guy that you're chatting with isn't, well, move on to one that is. And it's good to know that, you know, at the at the outside, at, at the I'm sorry, at the outside. I think I'm making Absolutely. up the outside. So um, great. Um, now the second of four that you share is be honest about your achievements. And it seems like that's something we um, you you mentioned, but be honest about your achievements and who you are. So like your example of um, that you just shared, I think, would be a great one of that in terms of whatever your profession is. Um, you know, that's something you should be, you know, uh, to share. Um, it, it, exactly, because again, you know, th th there's a um, there's a wonderful line which is before you can say I love you, you must first learn how to say the I. 
That's the only way one can really truly honestly wish to be loved. And I think that that's such a beautiful, um, a beautiful way to think about it. You need to know who you are, what's important to you, what your values are, and really express those and honestly share those with someone who might be a potential partner. Because you want that person to fall in love with you, not some you know, created version of you that you think is going to be more attractive. Absolutely. Another great screening mechanism in that sense um, Now, the third tip you share is very interesting, and that is ditch your Cinderella complex. So tell us about that one. (laughs) The Cinderella complex is a term that was coined, I wish I had coined it, but it was coined well before I came onto the scene in the 1980s, and it was about... It was about smart, you know, accomplished women who were earning good money but who were still looking for Prince Charming to sweep them off their feet and rescue them from their lives. And so when I say ditch your Cinderella complex, I am talking about so many of the young women that I interviewed said, yes, I make good money, yes, I'm very well educated, but I'm looking for a guy who makes more money than I do, who is more educated than I am, who is more of everything. And that's problematic. Because when you get up to the very elite echelons that we're talking about, really you should be looking for someone who is is a compatible match, someone who is a complementary match. And that doesn't necessarily mean someone who works harder, makes more money, who you know is more than you in every way. What about someone who complements you, who will be a good life partner for you? And so one of the ways that you know that you can think about that is, is it? Is, is having an enormous engagement ring, is that, you know, is that really important to you? If so, why? Um, are, are you, you know, what are the sort of the material qualities that you say are important um, if you yourself are in a position to, you know, to bring in money and be successful in your career? Perhaps someone who would be, um, who would be a complimentary match and, and who might, um, you know, even, even sort of help, her, help a little bit more around the house. What about someone who's a great cook? What about... Um, you know, someone who would um, who would who would share uh, share child rearing responsibilities. Think think about those kinds of things rather than this idea of someone who is more and better in exactly the same way as you are. Great. Um, now, the fourth empowering tip that you share is, um, and something I guess that we're trying to do with this radio show today, which is stop perpetuating this myth. So tell yes. So, it's again, it's very easy to say. Well, the guy just didn't like me because he's intimidated by me. And we sort of use that as a throwaway line. But, in fact, that continues to perpetuate the myth that men, in fact, are intimidated by smart women. And that sends a subtle but very devastating signal to young women. So when I teach college-age women, I'm encouraging them to follow their dreams, to get an advanced degree if that's what they're looking for, to take the job that they want to take, to really prioritize uh, their their own personal development in their early 20s so that they can be fully formed individuals and find someone who is a real a good complementary match for them later on and when we perpetuate this myth that that men aren't interested in those kinds of women we're sending a bad message to the younger generations and um and we're also kind of hiding behind uh, hiding behind an excuse that that really isn't the reason why we haven't found somebody so you, you don't want to hide behind an excuse. If your goal is to, to meet someone and, and find a life partner, you want to figure out what's holding you back. And I can tell you, your education and intelligence isn't what's holding you back. Okay, great. So it may feel better, at, you know, in the short term to be um, labeling it that uh, per se, but in the long term it really is not particularly helpful and is not borne out by the facts 
regardless. Um, exactly. Okay, great. Now, your book, Very Smart, has a section entitled Thinking Outside the Box. Now, this is great. <laughs> These are words I use all the time with clients. So um, I would love to hear what, you know, you share with our clients what you mean by that phrase, thinking outside the box. Okay, so every every woman that I've ever met, whether or not they, you know, whether or not they really will admit it. In fact, I think every woman has a list. She has the list of what she wants in an ideal guy. And sometimes we write down the things on the list. Sometimes we just have the list in in our heads. But let me tell you, they're usually pretty long and pretty exhaustive. And they're and that perfect guy, unfortunately, probably doesn't exist because we ourselves are not perfect. And um, and so when so when we when I say thinking outside the box, I mean instead of sort of thinking that you can only find a guy who you know has is more educated, only meet a guy um, and and um, and pair up with a guy who has who makes more money than you do. What about thinking about? other characteristics that would really make somebody compatible. Let's say you're an investment banker and you work 80 hours a week. Well, do you really want to be with another investment banker who's working 90 or 100 hours a week? Or would you prefer to be with somebody who is a complementary match for you? Uh, someone who will, um, who will perhaps be the more, you know, the nurturer in, um, in the relationship. Someone who, um, you know, th- these, these relationships in 2010 do not have to fall by fall down on traditional gender roles right we can think outside the box when it comes to traditional gender roles so really sort of thinking about what would make you happy and what would be compatible with your life not necessarily what um you know again what your mother and grandmother or what society previously would have said would be the right role for you so really understanding who you are understanding your values and then Thinking outside the box to see who would be the right person to um, to fulfill your dreams. Wonderful. Um, now I found an excerpt of a quote from one of um, you know from one of the swans actually. And what's great about these books is, in addition to the extensive research, um, we have anecdotes um, from different um, from different women who've had different experiences. A lot of which are success stories, which I think mm-hmm. again is empowering and. Um, and motivating. And uh, so one of the quotes from one of the swans you mentioned in your book, Mary Smart, I found that particularly compelling. And I'd love to, it's, it's on the lumpier side, even though it's an excerpt, but I'd still like to share it with our listeners and then have you expand with any insights since it is just an excerpt. And that is, um, you wrote, Lindsay, a 38-year-old college professor, reminds herself that she has agency over her life. She's in charge. Again, really empowering, which for her means that I haven't met the right person line is nonsense. I wasn't looking. I've met him five times. There were so many right people along the way, but I didn't choose them. Saying I haven't met the right person shifts the blame away from me when really I have agency. Every morning you wake up and have the opportunity to write the novel. There are only two things you have to do. You have to write the novel and you have to be the star, but you choose it. I'm writing a really great story, and I don't have a co-star. Why? Because I didn't choose to write one in. Tell us about that. Talk about self-awareness and really mm-hmm. uh, 
so um, anything you'd like to share? You know, since you obviously well, know. Uh, yes, she she was right? a really, you know, as it's funny as you're reading back that um, that 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 passage. I remember sitting in her living room as she was telling me that, and um, I, I it was it was one of I, I'm glad you chose that section because it was it was it's such an um, an empowering and uh, and wonderful way to put it. So. She, I, I love this analogy of um, of being of being the star of your own of your own movie, the, the movie of your life, the star of your own life. You have to be the star, and you have to take ownership of the story. If you have a co-star, then and you've written one in, wonderful. If you haven't yet, why not? What and what 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 should what would that co-star look like? What would you want that co-star to be? And this idea you haven't met the right person. It's possible that you haven't met the right person. Um, she was, you know, she she was in her late thirties at this point, and um, and so when when she says she's probably met the right person five times, I, I might be willing to believe her. But for someone who is, you know, perhaps in their mid twenties, maybe they haven't met the right person, and and that's okay. What it, but what this idea of agency means is that it is your choice. It's your choice whether you want to explore a relationship further. It's your choice when you say, oh, he's wearing one black and one brown sock. I could never be with him. It's your choice when you, um, when you make these, these sort of snap judgments about people. I have several friends who are still single in their, in their late 30s, and I get very frustrated with them because they write off these guys for really minor, minor reasons. You know, they say, oh, he, he made a really corny joke on the first date. Well, it's your choice whether you're going to give him another chance, but I would. I had this rule when I was single that um, I would go out on a first date with anybody who asked. And let me tell you, that, um, that led to some really hilarious stories. I could have a conversation with a potted plant at this point because I went on so many awful, awful first dates. But the reason why I had that rule was because I never did want to write off somebody just after five minutes. I wanted to make sure. I wanted to get to know them. And that was my way of taking agency over my life, saying that I was going to experience uh, this other person and figure out whether he was going to be right for me. So I, I, I do. I think it's, it's a wonderful passage, and it's really one of, of empowerment. So, so many single women feel like all of this is happening to them. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's the right attitude. Think of yourself as making, making choices. And really get out there and, and make the choice to meet the, the right match. I love that because if something just happening to you, there's somewhat limited things you can do about that. But if it's right. a choice, then you, you know, you take control again, and I love that. Um, now, as mentioned, um, your books are filled with some great swan success stories. Um, we'd like to share one of your favorites with our listeners. Oh, goodness. You know, I have to say that I think my favorite is – is a is a woman who I met um, in Arizona, and she called herself the diva dentist. And um, she was, um, oh, I'm trying to remember what name I, I think I called her Adriana in the book. I changed I changed women's names in the book to protect their privacy. Um, so Adriana, um, when I first met her, was poof, probably uh, 40 years old, and she was a very successful dentist. And um, she called herself the diva dentist. And um, as an African-American successful woman, she said that she was having a really, really difficult time meeting the right guy. And 
when I first met her, she was so down in the dumps. She was, um, you know, she she really thought it was going to be impossible to um, to, to meet a, to meet a man and get married. And I talked to her about my research and about all the, the good news data and the fact that, in fact, you know, when she, she met the right guy, it was he was going to be interested in her for her success. And um, and she said, okay, you know, I'll, I'll look at your I'll look at your data, I'll look at your numbers. A very smart woman. Anyway, so I wrote my book and I my first book, Why Smart Men Marry Smart Women. I included I included her in the book, um, and it wasn't quite a success story because she was still searching and and really she was quite down. But she wrote me after she read the book and said, you know, I'm I'm going to take a different attitude now. I I feel like I am among the swans, and I do feel more empowered. And then she she and I started keeping in touch. And would you believe, a couple years later, she reunited with a guy that she had known in high school. And he courted her in the most old-fashioned and beautiful way. And on um, 7707, uh, they were married, and they were featured in a magazine with their whole sort of life story. And it was so much fun to be able to keep in touch with her and really see this beautiful swan success story in action. So I included that story in Mary Smart. I love that. Dr. Yeah. I deeply appreciate your sharing your thoughts with us. They can be very insightful and interesting. Um, tell me, is there any last thought or take-home message you'd like to leave our listeners? I, I would say that, um, you know, it, there, there is good news. Smart, successful women marry at the same rates as all other women. And, you know, 90% of the men I interviewed said that they wanted to be with a woman who is as or more intelligent than they are. So it's really time to shatter this myth. I'm sorry for interrupting, but just that, I mean, you don't see statistics like that that often, 90%. Yes, 90%. 90% of the men I interviewed said that they were looking for a woman who is as or more educated. And, you know, this is, these these data are are from really large-scale data. So, and in fact, you know, if if you ask, I'm sure in 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 your client base you know this to be true as well. When you talk to the guys, this is what they say they want. We've got to stop perpetuating this myth and have swans really stand proud and, uh, and, you know, square their shoulders and be proud of who they are. Don't downplay your accomplishments. And, um, and as I said, you know, swans do swim alone for the first third of their lives, but when they mate, they mate for life, and there's good news for all the swans out there. I love that. And you are absolutely correct that 90% it did not surprise me based on what I hear every day from the men I speak with. So um, I'd like to thank Dr. Whelan for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. And once again, if you'd like to learn more about the insights Dr. Whelan's been sharing with us today, her books are entitled Why Smart Men Marry Smart Women and Marry Smart, The Intelligent Woman's Guide to True Love. In case you joined us late or would like to share this show with people in your life, I'd like to remind you that today's show will be archived and available as a podcast on Intersections Match's website, which is www.intersectionsmatch.com. I can be reached at jazzbean at intersectionsmatch.com. Appreciate your hanging out with us. Do email me with topics you'd like discussed in future shows, and make sure to join us for next month's show.
Sweetheart, how are you doing? I can. I can. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Um, so, how's, how's everything going? Oh, the, the, um, the, uh, the, the article that I wrote? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can send... I do. I think it's very funny. <laughs> she is, um, and in fact, um, and Peter had to, um, Peter like had to block her um, her news feed because um, it got too much for him. Yeah, so yeah, I can show you how. No, I mean no, and also it's all the intense body stuff, and it's so perky that it, you know can get a little. Bit. I know. Um, but yes, there are people who are on Facebook constantly, and um, and and I need to. Parent, and, and apparently, I'm going to have to be one of those people when my book comes out, and I just, I just drives me crazy. But um, fortunately, be, because that's going to be the way you publicize to this 18 to 25 crowd. But fortunately, the publicist, I'm giving the publicist my login and password on Facebook. Well, yes, but um, but so. Yes, I'm going to have, so, so when, you're going to see a lot of posts from me, and I'm not going to really be me, um, but it'll be great. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, so, yes, yeah, so Andreas called me. Yeah, so he called me, and um, he, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that name is familiar. I bet Jen would have more recall than I do.
Okay. So, but you think two, but you think two hundred dollars an hour is is a reasonable. Um, I mean that's that's yeah yes I mean because I'm pretty efficient. Um, I feel like I feel like when I was working with Alex and stuff, I, I was I don't know I think I was pretty efficient in terms of those hours. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, 